I hope that you guys are excited to be here today as I am. We are beginning a brand new series today called Castaway. And for the next five weeks, counting today, we're going to walk through the story of the prophet Jonah as we read through together and learn through together the book of Jonah. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, if you're hanging out with us for the first time or the uh, first time in a long time. Uh, my name's Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here, which just means that I get an opportunity today to, to be up here as we, we open this, this really cool book in the Old Testament and try to learn some stuff together about how we can apply what happened to Jonah in our own lives. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, the Old Testament and kind of where books fall, and if you brought your, your kind of paper and and, and leather copy of a Bible, and you have that today, and you're trying to find Jonah. Uh, he's tucked right in there between like Obadiah and Micah, uh, right in the midst of all those other Old Testament prophets that sound like the cast from Star Wars, right? You got like Obadiah and Nahum and Obi Wan and Chewbacca, and then Amos and some of those guys, right? So he's he's kind of tucked in there, kind of three quarters of the way through the Old Testament. Uh, if you didn't have, if you didn't bring a Bible because you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, if you just left yours or you prefer the electronic version of text, uh, you can follow along with us today on version. We're also going to put the scripture on the screen as well. We, we just like to put scripture in a lot of places so that we know what we're learning together is not uh, just kind of the, the whimsical musings of my in, intellect, uh, but the uh, actual truth and authority of scripture. And so, uh, like I said, today is the beginning of this new series called Castaway, where we're going to talk all about Jonah. So let's... Uh, Dive right in. See, you see what I did there? Because Jonah, he's in a, we'll get there. Hang on. All right, so Jonah chapter 1, uh, let's just get started. Uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Now I, I want to stop right there because I, for a lot of us, the ones that snickered at my horrible pun, um, we might have heard something about Jonah. We might know a little bit about Jonah from our growing up years if we spent any time at church and all. You might, be, you might have heard the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the, the big fish. And, and for a lot of us and for a lot of people who, who read that story who aren't really followers of Christ very much, to say, like, all right, time out. Dude got swallowed by a fish and lived three days in a fish. I don't believe it. It's impossible. But here's the really cool thing about Jonah is that the story of Jonah is not about a big magical fish. The story of Jonah is a story about God. And if I'm being honest, as I read through the pages of Scripture, Jonah being swallowed by a fish and living for three days inside of its gut, not on my top ten list of things that are hard to believe in the Bible. You see, for those of us who have a relationship with Christ and those who take this book as an authority and believe it, and we believe in a supernatural God who is in, is at work in and through our lives and in and through this world, he is a supernatural God, and supernatural things take place. I mean, come on. If you just go to Genesis 1-1, and God spoke everything that you can see, everything that you see, taste, and smell, God spoke, and those things came to be. We fast forward to, to Jesus and his death, and then his, not only did he die, but he came right back to life, right? And we read about all the people that he healed and all these miracles that took place. I'm telling you, Jonah just, just not on my top ten list of things that are hard to believe. So when you believe in a supernatural and all-powerful God, living three days in the belly of a fish, just not that hard to believe for me. And so I want us to get that 
in, in our heads as we, we kind of begin this journey through the book of Jonah. Not, not a story about a big fish. Matter of fact, big fish plays a, plays a really small role in, in the whole story that is the life and, and ministry of the prophet Jonah. So let's keep reading. Let's see what God has for Jonah. Jonah 1 and 2, we'll finish the verse. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, a couple things about the, the city of Nineveh that we need to know so that we understand the, the, the kind of the broader context of what we're talking about. Two things, both in, in this verse right here. Nineveh was a great city, meaning great, meaning large. Jonah will tell us later in his book that it took him three days just to walk across the metroplex of Jonah. Uh, historians have recorded that the walls of the city of Nineveh were uh, so wide that you could ride three chariots across along the walls of this great city of Nineveh. It was a very, very great, very large city. And as is kind of customary or kind of what we know to be true about a lot of major cities that, or big cities, there's a lot of crime, a lot of bad things that tend to, to kind of gather around these, these cultural centers that make up large cities. And the very same thing was true for the city of Nineveh. God says, their evil has come up before me. If you, if you go and you, you read that, look at that text, that come up before me, it's the, it's the same connotation of a, of a stench. You ever, guys or ladies that work out, have you ever um, worked out, put your clothes in a gym bag, sealed it up, and left it in your car for a couple days? And then you remember? And you got to go open that bag so you can get the clothes out of it to wash it, and then you get, like, punched in the face by a smell? That's the connotation here of what God is trying to get across. Their, their stench, their evil has come up before me. It's repugnant. It's disgusting. And it has come up before me. They are a very evil city. Even Nineveh's own history records for us some of the horrible things they did. In their own historical records, it's recorded that Nineveh, when, when it would overtake or, or capture other soldiers that would attack them, however that worked out, that they would take people, these, these men, women and children, mind you, just get that in our heads, and they would, they would flay them alive. They would cut their skin off, and they would hang it over the city walls. And then while they were still alive, they would bury these people into the sand all the way up to their head. They would stretch out their tongues and drive a stake through it so that they would die of starvation and thirst, being half filleted and buried in the ground. And then when they were done with them, they would pull them out of the ground, they would cut their heads off, and they would make mountains of skulls outside the city of Nineveh to let everybody else know as a form of warning, you don't mess with Assyria. When Nineveh was an Assyrian city, you don't mess with the Assyrians, else this is what happens to you. Now, I want us to put ourselves in Jonah's shoes today. That's my objective. The title of my uh, my sermon today is I am Jonah. I want, us to, I want us to identify a little bit with Jonah today. These are the people God just sent Jonah to go talk to on behalf of him. God sent Jonah to be a messenger to the city of Nineveh on his behalf, God's behalf. And Jonah just let one go. 
As a matter of fact, do you know who one of the major and primary enemies of Assyria was as you read through the Old Testament? Israel. Jonah's people. As a matter of fact, most likely these horrible, terrible things that have happened to these people probably happened to some people that Jonah knew. And God says, hey, Jonah, here's what, here's what I got for you, buddy. I'm going to need you to go to Nineveh and talk to them because I'm disgusted by their evil. Jonah didn't want to go. Would, would you want to go? Let's keep reading. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to have to say that word four or five times today. And it sounds like I have a lisp every time. It's a, it's a hard word to say. Y'all just bear with me. I, I've read it a hundred times. I still can't say it without sounding like I got something stuck in my mouth. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the, don't laugh. From the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah didn't just run. Jonah ran as far as he could possibly get away from what it was that God was asking him for. Tarshish was 1,500 miles away from the city of Nineveh in a day and time where people walked to get where they were going. Jonah just didn't run. He is booking it as far and as fast as he can get away from the presence of God. Here's the thing. Jonah's a prophet. Jonah knows the nature and character of God and that you can't outrun him, yet he tried. He's running as far away as he can get. In contrast to the very clear and very specific thing that God asked him to do. So so there's two things that I want us to see in Jonah's disobedience that I believe all of us will be able to relate to. For example, Jonah was a prophet of God. According to to his status and his position in the nation of Israel, Jonah was upstanding in every single way. He was God's mouthpiece. He He was like the Billy Graham of Israel in his day. Yet there was this this one thing, this, this one thing that God asked him to do that he couldn't bring himself to do. Just, just one, one single thing. You see, see, here's what we have to know about disobedience and rebellion. Here's what rebellion is. We, we like to make rebellion a, a big picture kind of thing, but, but here's what rebellion is, and it's in the simplest of terms. Rebellion is simply saying no to God. It's just saying no. And here's the truth about disobedience as it pertains to our relationship with God when we tell him no. If, you wanna, if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, this will be uh, one of our points for our time together today. You are never further from God than when you're close to him and say no. You're never further from God than when you know exactly what God wants you to do and you say no. 
I've got two kids, and I'm, I'm hard on them. They'll tell you. My wife will tell you. Other people have seen me interact with my girls. I'm, I'm kind of hard on them because I want them to be good people when they grow up. But there's nothing that frustrates me more when it comes to my kids than when I see them or find out that they did something that I know that they know that they know is wrong. Because there's no greater form of disappointment and there's no greater form of disobedience. You're never further from God than when you're close to him, when you know what he wants you to do, and you just tell him no. But but let's think back to Jonah's scenario. Like, what's going on with Jonah here, right? God has just asked Jonah to go to Nineveh and to speak on his behalf to the people of Nineveh. Jonah has two options, and both of them are horrible. One, he goes to Nineveh. He gets there and he's like, hey, God said y'all a bunch of evil people. That's the southern translation version. God said y'all a bunch of evil people and you need to get your stuff together and start acting right before Jesus comes down here and starts smacking y'all. Right? And they're like, mm, no. And then they kill him and they do all the horrible things to him that we know that they're prone to do. Take off his skin, bury him up to his neck, stick his tongue out, and then cut his head off. Now, if I'm Jonah, that don't sound like a really good option. So what's the other outcome? Let's say Jonah goes to Nineveh, he speaks out against their evil, and then because, and then they repent. And they change their mind, and they're like, dude, you're right. We need to be worshiping God, man. we got to quit doing this evil stuff. Now the very people that Jonah hates because they've done horrible, wicked things to people that he knows are going to receive the mercy of God. If you're in Jonah's shoes, there are two possible outcomes, and you don't like either one of them. What do you do? If you're Jonah, you run. The second thing that I want us to see in this verse, we find that in Jonah's running, he found a ship that was ready to take him to Tarshish. I can't tell you how many people I've interacted with, and it never, it's going to never stop amazing me at how many people view the readiness of the ship as God's blessing on their disobedience. Here's how it sounds. Well, you know, Pastor Brian, I've been miserable in my marriage for, for quite some time now. I just, I don't like going home. She's mean to me. She makes me do stuff I don't want to do. She's not affectionate. Yeah, on and on and on. But there's this lady at work. And she was so nice. She's like the perfect woman. She's everything that I ever wanted in a, in a, in a woman. And Pastor Brian, I just believe that God put her there for me because God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? And here's the truth of the matter. If you want to run from God, there will always be a ship ready to take you away. If you allow your eyes to wander, there will always be somebody there that will return your flirtations. If you allow greed to grow in your life, you will always find a great deal on something that you just have to have. 
if you allow yourself a little, there will always be something there for you to turn to to help you further yourself in your disobedience. Here's another phrase I hear. I love this one too. I'm going to pick on y'all for a little bit. Those of y'all that come in and talk to me, y'all going to quit after I keep preaching messages like this. Please don't. I love to help. I really do. Pastor Brian, I just have a peace about this. I just have a peace in my... It, you might have a peace, but that is not the peace of God. It might be a bad piece of pizza that you ate, and now you're having some kind of feelings that have nothing to do with the will of God. You know, it's as if we forget that we have an enemy whose sole purpose in life, the very thing that he wants more than anything else, is to make sure that there is a ship ready for you to follow away in your disobedience. His whole mission, his whole existence is all about getting you to disobey the very things that God wants from you. It's his job to make sure that the ship is there. And the peace that you feel is not the peace of God. It's the numbing of your conscience as our enemy has placed something there for you to help you disobey. There's always going to be a ship ready when you're ready to run. Let's keep reading. So God doesn't take kindly to Jonah's running, so this is what happens, verse 4. But the Lord hurled, I love this picture, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. You guys ever seen the pictures of God in heaven and he's got like the lightning bolts? All right, that's not true at all. But in this case, this is exactly what's happened. That word hurled right there is the exact same verb that's used in Scripture when it talks about the throwing of a spear. God balled up a big thing of wind and chucked it at Jonah in the boat that he's in. All right, I, just, I get excited about that kind of stuff. Maybe y'all don't. All right, so he hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the other guys that were with Jonah, were afraid. Each one cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. the, The book of Jonah is a literary masterpiece. And there's a lot going on in just the, the word play of Jonah. And, and this is one of the instances where, where God, through Jonah, is trying to, to display for us the condition of our heart as we disobey. And the, if you notice, as you read through verses 1 through 6, the, the word down continues to appear. Jonah went down into Joppa, and he went down into the ship, and he went down into sleep. And the the meaning of this, as you follow it through, is like this idea of being swept away by a current. That, That little things in the beginning take him further and further and further down. Maybe you've experienced this when you go to the beach and you go out into the ocean about, you know, 20, 30 yards or whatever off of the, the water and you're having a good time. You're relaxing, maybe doing a little body surfing or floating or something like that. And then you look up and you're like 15 hotels down from where you started. 
That's what Jonah here is trying to get us to see about as he went down and then he went further down and he went further down is the condition of our hearts where the Bible tells us that that, that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. That's what Jonah is trying to paint a picture for us here. And what he's saying is that things like this, adultery at age 40 begins with a pornography addiction at age 20. And and all the things that we find ourselves that are just feel like little sins or, or little steps away are big things in the end. Eating disorders in college start with some unchecked and unbalanced jealousies in middle school and image problems. So we have to be careful of the things that we allow into our life because little things lead us down and further down and further down until we're somewhere that we never intended to be. And that's exactly where Jonah is. He is in a condition that he, he really doesn't want to be in. He's in a ship that is being sunk because God is angry. And I think it's pretty funny that Jonah is the one in the bottom of the ship. All these sailors are up there praying to every God they've ever heard any story about or whatever, trying to get some relief. And the prophet of the one true almighty God is asleep in the bottom of the vessel. So let's continue the story. I want to try and get us all the way through chapter 1 if we can today or as close as we can get. So let's keep reading Jonah chapter 1 verse 7. It said, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on, surprise, Jonah. Like 43 different times, they, like, they, they spin the bottle or toss the dice or whatever and it's like, Jonah, 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 Jonah. And even these atheist sailors are going, you know what, I think it might be you, dude. They said to him, verse 8, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? What what do you do for a living? Prophet. And where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I love Jonah's response. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Jonah inside of verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah is finally owning up to what he knows to be true. I am not going to outrun this. It's God that made the sea and it's God that makes the dry land. If he wants this ship to go down, Bubba, it's going down. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Oh, yeah, I'm a a prophet. I work for him, and he's really upset. And uh, all this is because of me. And they're like, why would you do that? Why? These sailors that are praying to every God they can think of are going, why would you do that if you really believe that he is who he says or you say that he is, why would you run? That's the same question I want to ask to so many of us. If God really is who you say you believe that he is, man, why, why are you doing 
fill in the blank. Because we're never further from God than when we're close to him and say no. A couple more things if you want to write some of these down. These are just some added thoughts I wanted to, to, to tie in here as we look at Jonah's story. Number one, our disobedience affects others. Do you know that? Now, these men did nothing wrong. These sailors, but the ship is going down. Maybe you guys have heard the joke, what if it's not your day to die, but it's your pilot's? Right? These, Jonah's disobedience is affecting other people. And for a lot of us, your disobedience and my disobedience is affecting the other people that we're closest to. It's your disobedience that's, that's making you a, a husband that your spouse doesn't want to be with. It might be your disobedience that's making you violent or materialistic, and now you're beginning to see violence and materialism in your children. Our sin and our disobedience is never private. Our disobedience affects others. We talked in the last series in the message where we talked about loving people, that God has a mission for every one of our lives. That there is a circle of influence that surrounds you of people that you interact with on most likely on a daily basis. And God has placed you there strategically and specifically because there is something about you that God wants to use to reach those that are close to you but far from him. And your disobedience is chipping away at the opportunities that you're going to have to be the message carrier of the gospel for those people who are close to you but far from God. Second thing that I want us to see is that God sends storms to break people from their self-reliance. One of two things should humble you, your theology or your affliction. Here's what I mean. When we have a true theology, when we have a great understanding, theology being the study of God, when when we have a good understanding of who God is and how he interacts with us, our theology should drive us to humility. But most of us, that's not really the case, myself included. What will drive us to humility oftentimes is our afflictions and the storms that God sends into our lives. Now you got to hear me really clearly. If you're not looking at me or paying attention, look right here. Every storm in your life is not God trying to get your attention. Some storms in your life are just God accomplishing a bigger plan than you can see. You feel me? You hear me? Everybody do like this. Make sure you get it. All right. I'm going to say it again for the recording because I can't make sure the people on the podcast are listening. And it's not and not alone. I'm going to say it again. Every storm is not a storm to get your attention, but some of them are. Well, Pastor Brian, how do we know the difference? You ask. God will never send a storm that is intended and designed to get your attention and not let you know what it's for. I don't spank my children and then send them off to their room to let them figure out why they got spanked. That they're made full aware of why they receive the punishment they receive. And for a lot of us, the storms in our life are God's very desperate attempt to get your attention. Just like he got a hold of Jonah's. I think Jonah was listening. 
You see, when we put something else in the place that God desires to be, that's called idolatry. And oftentimes, it's those things that keep God from being able to get our attention. So those are the very things that God will attack. If money is your idol and you're so concerned with money that God can't get your attention, God will attack your money. Some of you right now are experiencing a storm in your life that is financial in nature, and it is God trying to get a hold of you and get your attention to tell you that you are not handling and thinking about money the way that God wants you to handle and think about money. If your idol is the approval of other people, God will allow you to disappoint them. If pride is your idol and you're so concerned with how you look and how you feel and what everybody else thinks of you, God will let you fail. And that storm that you're going to experience in your life that attacks your money or your relationships or your pride, it's God trying to get your attention. There's some of you, I believe, I don't know, no names, I don't even think I have a name, that you're in a relationship right now that you know God doesn't want you to be a part of. And you're wondering why you can't get peace in the midst of it. Or maybe you feel a peace that is not peace, but the numbing of your conscience. And I fear for you that a storm's coming. Because that is what God will use to get our attention. But here's the really cool thing about Jonah's storm. The storm was his salvation. You see, a lot, all of us, we need to learn to submit to the storm. God sent the storm because Jonah did something Jonah shouldn't have done. But in the midst of the storm, God was using it to restore Jonah. If you you go on and read the rest of the story, we don't have time to read it together today, but they take Jonah and they throw him overboard and the storm ceases. And that's when he gets swallowed by the big fish. We'll pick that up next week. But the storm ceases when Jonah submits to the storm. And then, jo- then God is going to use this big fish to take Jonah back to Nineveh, and he's going to go and he's going to do what God told him to do. God used the storm to get Jonah's attention, and it was in the storm that Jonah found retribution and restoration. Hear me. God is not using a storm because he's mad at you. God doesn't use storms to pay you back for your sin. You want to know how I know? Because he paid Jesus back for your sin. You don't owe it anymore because Jesus already paid it. So the storm that you're experiencing in your life is not because God is mad at you and he wants to punish you, but because he's trying to get your attention so that he can restore you. And it would do well for us to submit to the storm. And when we find ourselves in difficult situations and circumstances in the midst of a storm, that we would go to God and we would pray. And we would beg God to show us, is this storm that I'm in something that you're using to try and get my attention? Or is this something that you're using to try and grow me? Or is there just something about this that I need to find you in? But whatever it is, know this. God doesn't send storms to pay you back. That's not how he works. He doesn't have to pay you back. You owe nothing because Jesus already paid it. There are two things that we're going to see over the next four weeks as we continue to walk through the book of Jonah. But I want to let you in on them now so that we can be looking for them as we read through this and study together. Number one, the book of Jonah 
is going to show us what a real sinner is. You see, all of my life, every time that I've heard the story of, of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish, it's always been taught to me in terms where, hey, Jonah disobeyed. We don't want to disobey. Don't be like Jonah. You're not like Jonah. We're people that listen to God. We don't want to be like Jonah who don't listen to God. But here's what I'm, what I'm, what I'm seeing more, and not just with Jonah, but through all the people and accounts of Scripture that I read is that I identify more with the people who get it wrong than the people who get it right. When I read Jonah's story and I see his two options of I go to Nineveh and they hate me so they kill me, or I go to Nineveh and they repent and they receive mercy, I don't like either of those things, so I'm just going to disobey God. I can get with that. I can, I can see that. I've done that. And so I don't, I don't look at Jonah as like, a, Psh, that Jonah, I'd never be like him. I'm like, dude, Jonah, I feel you, brother, but dang, we got to get this together. I, I, I got to learn from his mistakes instead of just learning from my own. And the second thing that the book of Jonah is going to show us, the book of Jonah's, Jonah is going to show us who the real Savior is. It's going to show us what a real sinner is. It's somebody who just says no to God but it's going to also show us who the real Savior is. There are multiple, multiple, multiple parallels between Jonah's story and the story of Jesus. And in every way that Jonah got it wrong, Jesus is going to get it right. How many days did Jonah spend in the belly of the well? Three days, right? If you know the story, he spent three days in the belly of the well. How many days was Jesus in the tomb? Three days. We're going to see multiple, multiple parallels between the story of Jonah. As a matter of fact, Jesus in the book of Matthew refers back to the story of Jonah. To, to make a point and to show how he is the greater Jonah. And we're going to cover that in this series. But what I want us to see is that everywhere that, that Jonah failed, Jesus gets, the right, gets it right because Jesus is the greater Jonah. He's the picture of what we're really looking to. And as we read through Jonah's account, I don't want us to just see Jonah, but I want us to see Jesus. Because the very heart that God wanted Jonah to have for the Ninevites, he couldn't find inside of Jonah. But it, that's the kind of heart that Jesus had that sent him to the cross to die for your sin and for mine. So as we read Jonah, let's look for Jesus. And my hope is, is at the end of this series, that we'll understand that God doesn't just send storms on a whim, but for a purpose. And much like he got Jonah's attention and led Jonah somewhere, we want God to be able to get our attention so he can lead us somewhere. And I think when we arrive there together, we'll be a better church and better people and a better community because of it. Would you pray with me? Father, I hope today that as we look at Jonah's account in Scripture, that, God, we would be able to see ourselves in Jonah's shoes. That we would be able to see how easily we can drift in disobedience. And how little things become big things. And, God, it's my hope that we would not only be able to identify more closely with Jonah in his disobedience, but that, God, we would be able to see your love and mercy in the midst of the storms that we encounter. God, we know and we believe that the storms that we see and the storms that we feel, God, that they serve a greater purpose which we cannot see. 
But in all of that, God, we know that you love us, that you're a good father who loves his children, who wants good for us in our lives. But God, it has to be good according to your definition, not ours. And sometimes, God, to get us to move, to get us from where we are to where you want us to be, God, you have to send a storm. So it's my hope for every person that's under the sound of my voice in this moment that, God, we would find the confidence and the willingness to surrender to the storm, to submit to the idea that you want to get our attention so that you can lead us in a better direction. God, that's not easy. It's difficult for us to to find you in the midst of hard times. But God, I pray that you give us eyes to see and hearts to feel the same way that you feel about us. So God, if you send a storm, we'll rejoice in the midst of it and we'll surrender knowing that it was sent with our best interests in heart. Father, we can believe that because we know how desperately you love us and how passionately we are pursued by you. And we have that picture through Jesus, your son, who sacrificed himself on the cross so that we could walk in freedom from our sin. God, it's in his name we pray. Amen.